as time went on, like like months went on, like a half a year, then I met Method Man. And then I was like, oh, these are the guys from Wu-Tang. This before Method Man album dropped. This, you know, this right after 36 Chambers album was dropping. So then when I met them, I was like, yeah, I liked their music. I like I loved it, the 36 Chamber album, but they didn't know I rap. One of the homies that was with us told them I rap. And then we was happened to be in the studio with Meth and they asked me to rap. And I don't even know what I said. Method Man was going off. Method Man was going crazy. He was in the studio going crazy. And I was in the studio with him. And then they somebody told them I rap. And they didn't even know I rap. And he was like, oh, you rap? And then he passed me the mic. And when he passed me the mic, I just went crazy. I don't even know what I said. You know what I mean? I don't even, it was like off the top of the head. It just went crazy. So then we just had a relationship every day. Then it turned into music. You're gonna dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You wanna get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content? But 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 hate how long you have to wait. And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. What's going on and welcome to the program. This week, we're joined by Wu-Tan affiliate and CEO and owner of Affiliates Management, Lada Darkman. We'll be reflecting and remembering his 98 debut, Heist of the Century, 25 years later. Enjoy the conversation. I wanted to go back to the foundation and talk about some of the life events that shaped some of the ideas on Heist of the Century. How would you describe growing up in Brooklyn and what was it about Michigan that contributed its significance to approaching some of these songs thematically? Oh, man, that's a great question, man. That's a great question. And you're a great guy because out of all the interviews, nobody never asked me that question. I've, you know what I mean? I've done a lot of interviews and that question right there is very, very vital. I think um, me growing up in Brooklyn, Crown Heights, to be specific, and having a lot of cousins and understanding the atmosphere in New York and at the time, you know, late 90s, mid 90s, like it's, it was so many distractions for a young kid period like growing up in the city and so many distractions in the urban setting and like 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 the neighborhood setting that it was hard to finish school like I got I got kicked out of school um like three times in the ninth grade like I went to Wingate um in Brooklyn and I got kicked out of school that's how I got to Michigan but even in New York when I was I was skipping school at like in like um, I was like eight years old. The first time I ever skipped school to go play video games and um, 
and so many distractions. So I'm just giving you an example of the distractions. I was right. skipping school at like eight years old the first time, like four, and I was only in the fourth grade. So I'm saying that to say from getting getting not doing so well in school in New York, that's how I got to Michigan because I um ended up getting sent to Michigan to finish school, to finish high school, you understand? Right. So coming from New York, none of my cousins really finished high school. Like none of them, like my closest cousins. And we can say, it was like, say my seven closest boy cousins older than me and my age. And they, none of them even finished high school. You understand? Because things were moving so fast in the city that we really didn't put a lot of value in school. And a lot of the schools was so many distractions, it was so many wild things going on in the schools that you really wasn't paying attention, you know what I'm saying? So when I got sent out to Michigan, I was able to pay attention more. It was easier for me to focus because it was less going on than in New York, you know what I mean? So that question enabled me to answer the question even further, my songs, uh, were a little more focused and less distracted, like Heist of the Century. If you listen to my verses, you listen to the songs, you listen to the names of the songs, like What Thugs Do or Gun Rule is the name for a Michigan song and Now Why was the name for a New York song. You know what I mean? Gun Rule was a spot in Michigan. And so it was like the album was, was, was focused and it was precise on from the stories I told, from the names of the songs, and from me being able to write well in high school, that carried on, enabled me to be able to write well in music. Where were you typically writing and who and what were some of, you know, the inspirations that you were pulling from at that time? I think most of my inspirations at that time was from me. Like, like you said, the life that I was living, like I, right. I traveled back and forth from New York to Michigan, like every summer I used to be on a, on a, on a, on a, on a Greyhound or the Amtrak. So I got a lot of interaction with different peoples. And then just coming from New York, being on a subway, when you're on a subway, what I was pulling from, when you're on a subway, when I was growing up, it's all different type of people on the subway. You understand? So it's like, it's you on, I'm a kid, but I'm on a subway with grown people, with mortgages, with bills, with stockbrokers, with janitors on their way to work. I'm on the way to school, or, or I'm, you know what I mean? But but riding the subway, or I'm on the way shopping, and you know, just so it shaped me. I was always around adults, and I was always around older guys. All my cousins was older, so me, my inspiration on the album, I was pulling from my lifestyle when I was young just being in a neighborhood, going from New York to Michigan and standing on a corner and being on a corner growing up, I was the I was outside. Like now they say, yo, we outside, we outside. I grew up outside. So now it's like, you know what I mean? When you outside, you see more things. You see, you know what I mean? You see more people in the car. You see more people getting out the car. Like I may witness an argument when you on a train and you just witness up two grown people arguing and then they get to fighting. So you witness more action. So my, my heist of the century was wrote out of like, I think I inspired myself a lot from just action and being around those stories 
were like from my cousins, me being around my bigger cousins, my my bigger brother who was like my cousin who passed away, like City Lights, for instance, the story City Lights is about my cousin that was like my brother. When I moved to Michigan, he was he he moved to Michigan too. He was like my brother. He was about seven years older than me. That story, City Lights, where Havoc Mob Deep did the beat, that was about a real person. You know what I mean? It was inspired. So most of my songs were inspired by me and my family, like my bigger cousins and and me and me being active with them. That's and 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 being from New York to Michigan to understanding that being on being in the neighborhood, going to school. I was one of the only ones that finished school. You know what I mean? Cause everybody else just stayed in the neighborhood full time. I went to school and I was in the neighborhood. I came from a wealthy family. I joined the clan because I wanted to learn a special Kung Fu. To be a real expert. But in actual fact, I've just become a killer. Killing. That's all I know. Death. Every day. Another. Now, you mentioned your brother, Willie the Kid, who's already a huge fan of Wu-Tang at this point. What was your relationship with 36 Chambers as a fan living in New York City? Um, To me, this is so crazy, because I didn't meet the, um, I didn't meet, the rappers, I wasn't really familiar with their music because I got with Wu-Tang right when it first started. You know what I'm saying? Like right after, like Protect Your Neck, like right after Protect Your Neck and they were recording the first album, that's when I got with Wu-Tang, but I didn't meet, um, I didn't meet the rappers. Like a lot of people thought I met the rappers. I met RZA brother, Devon, with his homie Tarif and his homie Power. I met the executive producers, you know what I mean? I met the executive producers and I had got a relationship with them, but it wasn't a music relationship. It was a neighborhood relationship. You understand? Like, I, they, I, they didn't even know I rapped. I didn't even know that they were Wu-Tang. I had heard Protect Your Neck and that's the only thing I had heard, but I really, wasn't a big fan of it because I only heard it a few times and my cousin introduced me to it and I was like, yeah. But then I ended up right after I heard it and I liked it, but I met RZA Big Brother and his homeboys. I met Devon, Tyree from Power. I met the executives and I didn't know they was from Wu-Tang. So I met wow. them and we was just doing neighborhood things. And I didn't know that this was the people that executive produced the 36 Chamber album the Wu-Tang, and you know, I didn't know that at the time. So we developed a relationship in the neighborhood and then it sprung from there. Then I ended up meeting Method Man and then I ended up meeting Raekwon. And then I was like, they didn't even know I rapped though. They didn't wow. even know I rapped. They didn't know I rapped. When, when Method Man, I ended up being going to the studio with Method Man, that's when I knew they was the people from behind Wu-Tang, behind the scenes of Wu-Tang. So I got a relationship with the executive producers before I got the relationship with, you know what I mean, with the with the rappers, you know what I mean? Because I didn't even know they were executive producers. It happened kind of organically. So then, um, you know, we as time went on, like like months went on, like a half a year. Then I met Method Man, and then I was like, oh, these are the guys from Wu Tang. 
this before Method Man album dropped. This, you know, this right after 36 Chambers album was dropping. So then when I met them, I was like, yeah, I liked their music. I like, I loved it, the 36 Chamber album, but they didn't know I rap. One of the homies that was with us told them I rap. And then we was in, happened to be in the studio with Meth and they asked me to rap. And I don't even know what I said. Method Man was going off. Method Man was going crazy. He was in the studio going crazy. And I was in the studio with him. And then they, somebody told them I rap and they didn't even know I rap. And he was like, oh, you rap? And then he passed me the mic. And when he passed me the mic, I just went crazy. I don't even know what I said. You know what I mean? I don't even, it was like off the top of the head. It just went crazy. So then we just had a relationship every day. Then it turned into music. But before that, the relationship was just street neighborhood things. So this is post 36 Chambers, pre Cal coming out. Take me into that session, being inside that room with Method Man. What's the energy like? And can you remember what it was that he was recording? I don't remember the exact song. I think he was filling things out. He might have been, let me see, let me see. That's a good question. Nobody never asked me that one either. That's a great question. What song was he recording? I don't remember. I don't remember because I think he was just filling things out. I think he was just filling things out, like filling beats out, like he was trying to pick beats and he was trying to pick a beat. So I don't think it was a particular song. He was he was like gathering beats and gathering thoughts. That's how Meth record. Meth usually, you know, he, he vibed. So we was just vibing. He was just vibing that day. And then he passed the mic to me. I, and um, like I said, he was just vibing, but he was going crazy. He was freestyling. Like that's what that's what that's what was going on. He was picking beats. He was trying to figure out which beat he wanted to record to. So the, it was crazy in there. We were just in there. It was a lot of us, two, about seven, eight of us in there. You know what I mean? So he, we was going through beats and each beat he was trying to figure out which vibe on. And then he caught a vibe on one of them and it was crazy. And um, I don't remember which beat it was because once he passed me the mic, all I saw and all I could remember is me. You know what I'm saying? Like. It was like one of them moments in the movie where all I remember is what I did after that. Like, I don't even remember the, the room. The vibe was crazy. We was dancing around, moving around, blowing the best smoke. You know, the vibe was crazy. It was real, real neighborhoodish. It was real hanging on the cornerish. And then I do remember because he was going crazy and I don't know what beat it was exactly. But once he passed me the mic, I just remember I went crazy. And I don't even remember what I said. I don't remember what rap I said. I don't remember none of it. I just remember it happened. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, it was like a moment in time, like where like I just caught the glow. Like I had the glow around me. Everything, everything went, everything just went. And from there, Method Man was like, ooh. He was just like, I remember his face when I was going. He was like, ooh, ooh. And then from there, it's been on. It's been Wu-Tang forever since then. Incredible. Where was that at? Can you remember what the studio was? Was that was that Firehouse Studio? We was in, we was in Firehouse, matter of fact. How you know about Firehouse? That's crazy. That's the first studio where the first everything was being recorded. Yep. 56 That's chambers. crazy. Yeah, yeah. You crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a good job, my brother. That's crazy. Yeah. Nobody never, I never heard nobody say Firehouse neither. So what would have been the starting point for you writing and recording Heist of the Century? Um, oh, like a bit. 
I probably started in like 97, um, 98, probably. I started, probably started right in the beginning in 98 because I ended up dropping it like the, the end of 98, like November. That's why sometimes it's like 99 because it was November 24th of 1998, but you know, everything shut down in Christmas time. So during that, it's only one month and then it had to flip. And I think I just really, I always wanted to tell my story. And I think the best way to tell my story, he came out in the music. And I think it was like heaven sent, it was meant to be like, and I get so many people tell me how Heist of the Century helped their life. And you know how music helped life and all that. So I know Heist of the Century helped my life. And I think other people who listen to it got something from it. It just wasn't, it just wasn't a flash or just somebody talking. I think it was more heartfelt and authentic to where people could feel the stories and feel the vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once again. Dark man, stay on the streets with a tool for these devil workers with gas and his ignorant fools. Find yourself in the Hudson Rock and see men's shoes. Middle East, Michigan, Grand Rap, Gun Room. Me and my man contemplating on these future operations for nightclubs. Two floor shit, packed like Haitians. I'm 19, paid young, can only get better. Got cheese in the wall, trying to see enormous cheddar. Fuck a Fuji sweater, stay woo here. Fly polo, peppy jeans, new boot kicks. Label they solo, roll for dolo. Kill from the east, me and Reef, less than 20 hours, so four bricks, 100 G's, 25 a piece. Straight in MI, that's what it's like. Peace to my man said who got hit on New Jersey Turnpike. I send a kite with a hundred in your money. Well, we're talking about a time when college radio is bubbling. Stretch and Bob have already premiered and played Wu-Tang on the radio. I'm curious as to what sort of relationship you had with DJs in New York at that point. It's funny you said that. Stretch was one of my first DJ relationships. Stretch and Tony Touch. Stretch, but Stretch came before Tony Touch. Um, Stretch, I freestyled on Stretch and Bobito's show. And I went crazy. And that's what helped me land the 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 situation and the deal for Heist of the Century. And they and the record executives was calling for me after that freestyle. They was calling for me. Like they called Stretch about me. They call Stretch. Like, who is La? Who is La the Dark? So that's how that kind of became about. You know what I mean? I was working already a little bit. Like, I was working the, um, the streets a little bit. I did a couple shows and stuff like that. But nothing had really got big. But when I did, I did Stretch and Barbito Hot 97 show. And I freestyled and I tore it down. And I was going crazy. He was switching the beats and I was going crazy. I just talked to Stretch. Matter of fact, about about six months ago, you know what I mean? I just talked, cause he was he was one of the main components of the DJ component that played a role in in, in a lot of Dark Man career. What was your relationship with his show pre-Hot 97? Could you remember the times that ODB would phone in and freestyle? Nah, I really didn't listen a lot. My cousins did. Like I said, my cousins was, they listened to everything. I listened to what I like and when I tuned in, but I was always doing something. Like I played basketball, I played football, I wrestled, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I did a lot of things. So I was always doing something. I really, 
my cousins were, were the ones who would put me on to stuff. Like I didn't read right. magazines. I didn't, I didn't really listen. I didn't really, I, I knew Stretch of Bobito was, but I really wasn't like into the show like that. But my cousin was, you understand? Like one of my favorite cousins, Shoddy, he's on Heights of the Century, Shoddy Screwface. Shoddy Screwface. He was into all of it like that. He was, he read the articles. I really don't do that. I really, I really just do it. I really never would, but I, I, I love the DJs because that's why I started my own company, the affiliates, the affiliates DJs, and, and I started managing DJs as the future went on. I managed DJ Drama, DJ Don Cannon, DJ Sense, you know, DJ uh, Holiday, DJ, I had managed a lot of DJs who DJ Dez, a different, a lot of DJs, DJ New Era, a lot of DJs you've seen came from from the affiliates that's that's later on down the road i end up starting a, a dj company so i really understood that and i always had a good relationship with stretch always had a good relationship with um tony touch i love tony touch joints now tony touch i used to listen to him a little more you know what i mean because it was a brooklyn thing it was coming out of brooklyn so i was a little more familiar with the, with tony touch you know what i'm saying so tony was killing it so yeah he Tony and then, yeah, yeah, they, they, you know, I really, I've always had a good relationship with the DJs though. You know what I mean? And then I ended up starting a DJ company. Well, going back for a second, was there much of a bidding war while you were recording Heist of the Century? Yes, sir. Another, another, yes, sir. Another good question. I had a bidding war between um, Craig Kalman offered a, a half a mil. Craig Kalman offered a half a mil. I was originally supposed to do with Atlantic. That's 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 the guy who got Cardi B. He got the Migos. He got Gucci Man. He got all the all of the top the Megan Thee Stallion. All of the Wiz Khalifa. All the top people now you see come from that same regime. Craig Cowman. I was supposed to do a lot of Dark Man with Atlantic Records. They was at a half a million, and then I was supposed to do uh. Uh, Interscope Records with Jimmy Iovine. Wow. I met with Jimmy Iovine. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, yeah, nobody never asked this question. I met with Jimmy Iovine, and um, he was supposed to do six hundred and fifty thousand. Um, he was supposed to do six hundred and fifty thousand, but then I ended up going independent. What people really don't know, I ended up doing it independently, and I went and got a distribution deal. All of those deals was artist deals. So instead of doing an artist deal, I ended up going to get a distribution deal with a distribution company and and ended up getting 1.2 million. Which was unheard of back then. Which was unheard of back then. When you look back on that period from a distance, do you have do you have any recollections of any negotiations from any labels that went against your original vision as an artist? Were you asked to compromise in any way? Yeah, that's why that's why I really didn't um go with Atlantic because Atlantic wanted me to be more like Mace. Mace and Puff was winning at the time. Puff Daddy and Mace, they was winning Diddy. And they was winning. They was knocking it out the park with, you know, with, with shit would have right after the Biggie had passed away, right around that time. And they was, you know, they was doing their thing with the shiny suits and all that. And 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 um Craig Cowman, the chairman of Atlantic Records, he's still the chairman now. He wanted me to do be more like Mace. He was trying to, he was trying to get me to be a little more like Mace. And I was like, nah. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's crazy. And I understood. 
going into the album, was there a pre-Sonic mission what, that was discussed when you were going into the album with Supreme Team? Or were you figuring out the sound and the direction as you were making it? Yeah, I, I kind of did all that. Just a lot of dark, man. Like that, like if you read the A&R, I A&R that whole album. I picked all the beats. I picked it by hand. I kind of just, like even the beats I got from RZA, like I picked it by hand. He like, he played different things. And I was like, nah, not that one. You know, not that one. And I was like, yo, let me get that one. Let me get that one. So, so I just did it off my instinct. I knew what I, what, what I wanted to hear. I knew what I wanted to say. I knew kind of what direction I wanted to go in. So I just picked all those beats from, from scratch. Like for instance, one of the beats that I had ended up being Biggie beat and Little Kim beat. It's called Queen Bitch, the Queen Bitch track. Carlos Six July Brody did it. He did Lucci. He did What Thugs Do For Money. He yeah. did um he did um a few, he, he did Spring Water. But he ended up doing a lot for Puffy and Biggie and Little Kim. He did Top of New York for CNN. But I'm saying that to say I had beats that were for a lot of dark man. One of the beats ended up being Queen B, Little Kim, her one of her hottest singles, her and her and Biggie. But I had that beat, and it really wasn't for me. That's one of that's the only beat that was amazing that I ended up giving away to somebody else. I ended up giving it away to Biggie and Little Kim because it didn't fit Heist of the Century. It didn't, it didn't fit. So you asking that question, I had a vision. I had a vision. I wanted to make a movie. 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 And I think I, I, I'm sure I did make a movie. I wanted to make a movie and that beat didn't go, but it ended up being, it, the beat was a banging and it's Queen B and Little Kim killed it. Little Kim and Biggie killed it biggie wrote that for her they it was like the beat was meant for them because i couldn't i couldn't see it fitting on heist of the century so yeah i had a when i when i went and got havoc mob d and 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 mugs from cypher's hill um carlos six july brody the rizza um all of them i handpicked all of them you know what i mean i handpicked all of them to like I wanted a certain sound and the beats that we gave, I picked all my beats. They didn't really give me no beats. I sat down with them. Like for instance, Havoc, Mob Deep. We went to the record store together. We picked out the records together. He, you know what I mean? We went back to the studio. He was playing certain parts of the record. And I was like, yo, get that one. And he was like, you like that right there? And I was like, yeah, get that. And then Havoc went crazy. For instance, Springwater. We took Raekwon, Springwater was actually Raekwon, I think that was his beat idea. The beat was his idea. We took that same beat to Carlos Six July and had him produce it just like how we wanted it. You know what I mean? But then like right. what thugs do, but then like what thugs do for money, that was my idea. The the the, the dollar dollar bill, y'all, the, the what thugs do for money, that beat, it's, it's, it's a sample. I wanted that sample particularly. So I took that, that sample to Carlos Brody and told him, yo, make this for me. Make this right here. Children growing, women producing, men go working, some do stealing. Everyone's got to make a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No 
telling that story in that in that depth word in that depth because it's it's bringing me back as i'm as you asking these questions is bringing me back is there any truth to the rumors that beats for both winter wars and cash still rural scary hours were originally used for heist of the century yes sir yes sir both of them talk about more super ninjas is another one super ninjas was originally supposed to be for heist of the century Super Ninjas, I think that ended up being Method Man, Master Killer, and somebody else. But um, yeah, Cash Still Rules, that was originally for uh, Cash Rules, still don't nothing move but the money. Right. Um, on, on, on Wu-Tang Forever album, ended up selling like 10 million. That song is one of the best songs on there. Yeah, that was originally for Heist of the Century. That was a Heist of the Century song. And um, Raekwon asked me, could he have that song? And RZA asked me, could he have that song? So I gave it to them for, um, but I was originally on it. I'm still on it in the background. The hook, when you hear the hook, it's me and Method Man on the hook. They just turn meth voice up louder than mine. But if you listen to it, we crash dummies, cash rules, still don't nothing move but the money. That's me and Method Man. On That's that. you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cash rules, still don't nothing move but the money. Was it hard to let go of that? No, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. And, and that's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good question. A lot of people ask me that. It was hard for some people, but not for me, because I make so many of them. You know what I mean? To me, it's like, God bless Kobe Bryant. It's like a jump shot. I shoot so many of them. I make songs easily. I make those type of songs easily. I pick those type of beats easily. And it was my big brothers. When my big brothers asked me for something, I felt like I was contributing to the Wu-Tang Forever album. You know what I mean? I'm contributing to something my brothers are doing. So I, I never was selfish about it. I ne- and I never am. I never was. I never will be. I never was selfish about it. And a lot of people, and, and Rizzo always thanked me for that because when Raekwon asked me, I think he thought it was going to be hard for me to let it go. You asked a great question. He, he thought it was going to be hard for me to let it go, but it wasn't. You know I mean, he thought that, but it wasn't. I make them, I make them, I'm like, I'm like Kobe Bryant in the gym. God bless him. You know what I mean? Like I, I go to the gym and I, I, I go to the studio and make four songs in one day. Crazy. What about you know what the I mean? rest like, of Wu Sound Forever? Were you instrumental for any suggestions in terms of bringing yes, any ideas? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, the whole thing, like picking beats and 
what should be the single. And yeah, RZA always had me in the room asking me. RZA, RZA one thing about RZA, he takes surveys once he finished everything. He said, what you think? What you think? Like whoever in the room, he, he, he have his opinion, but then he see what other people think. That's what make a great leader too. You know what I mean? So yeah, he always valued my opinion and always from throughout the whole album. And even singles, even even singles, even further, like once once everything started to come out, yeah, it was like, dude, they, they Raekwon the same. They always value my opinion because, you know, I'm a straight shooter and I, you know, I tell the truth. So I don't, I, 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 I'm not a yes man. I'm a they know if I say it, it means something. You know what I mean? Raekwon even said that, yo, when La say something, that means something. Now, go on back to your album. This is your first album. This was your first time navigating a studio and experiencing some of your earliest lessons as a recording artist. What is it that sticks out most about those earlier sessions? What did you learn from being around Supreme Team and Carlos Brody from Woo Elements? Well, really, Carlos Brody came from me. Carlos Brody really wasn't Wu-Tang. Carlos Brody got into Wu-Tang through me. You see what I'm saying? He became a Wu-Tang element through me. So Brody, I met Brody somewhere else, and I think I helped Brody craft that style, that, that element that he ended up doing Biggie what's beef for Biggie and um my downfall for Biggie. Those are Wu-Tang chambers that he brought Biggie to. And that Wu-Tang chamber came from me sitting with him, telling him how I want my beats, how I want my beats. So it's like, I think, um, I think I was a savant kinda, you understand? Because mm. what I did, like, like what I, the most I really learned was really from being around RZA and, and, and RZA composing. And one thing I learned from Carlos Brody and, and Six July, like he, he's um, a hell of a mixer. Like when you mix an engineer, like engineer, he's a hell of an engineer. And um, like RZA is a hell of a composer. Like RZA's composer, like who rap first, who rap last, where they should rap at, how to cut the verse off, all of that. I think I learned a lot of that from RZA. So once I started doing my album, I was easy with it. You know what I mean? I was easy with it. Like I kind of did, I kind of, I kind of A&R'd, I did. I, I picked everything, what verse I rapped, what verse I didn't rap. Like I corrected myself basically when it comes to the creative process of music what I'm going to rap about, what I'm not going to rap about, editing my verses. I kind of did all that solely. So if Carlos is a great mixer and Riz is a great composer, is it safe to say that you were the strategist in the middle of this equation? You're a great strategist. Oh, yeah, you killed that. You a bad boy. You a bad boy. Yeah, you a bad boy. You a bad boy because that's what I, that's what I would consider myself. You a bad boy. You're a bad boy. That's what I could really consider myself. And I knew how to put it together. You know what I mean? I knew how to bring it all together. Like, you got to think, I had a lot of different producers, but I brought it all together and baked one cake. You understand? I knew what beat to get for this song, what beat to get for this topic, what beat to pick for this story. Like the shit with me and RZA, Polluted Wisdom. That's crazy. Polluted Wisdom is crazy. And I picked that beat from RZA. We sat down and, 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 and I was with him. He was playing beats and playing beats and playing beats. And I said, nah, I want that one. I told him what I like and I told him what I like. And then he said, like this? And I said, yeah, like that. Polluted Wisdom is crazy. Crazy. Was he surprised by your choice? 
Was he surprised? Nah, nah, I don't think so. But I know we got different styles. You know what I mean? RZA, RZA is sometimes more of a producer there. He makes so many different beats. Right. You never know. All of them may be banging to him. You know what I mean? Like he makes so many different beats and so many different styles. Like if you think from Jizza album to Old Dirty Bastard album, it don't sound nothing alike. If you think from Cuban Link's album to the 36 Chambers album, it don't sound nothing alike. If you think from the Wu-Tang Forever album to the beats on 36 Chambers album, it don't sound nothing alike. All those albums have a different sonic feel to them. It's mm. similarities, but they different movies. You know what I mean? Mm. Like Old Dirty, Old Dirty Joint album don't sound nothing like Raekwon album. You know what I'm saying? Like it don't, yeah. don't like the beat sonically, it don't sound the same. Like so I put my whole album together like that. Like it's a mixture of a movie where every track, if you notice, Lucci don't sound like polluted wisdom. Right. What thugs do for money don't sound like spring water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Four, four souls don't sound like spring water. You know what I mean? Four souls don't sound like what thugs do for money, but also in sequence where they coincide. Because it's different moods, like a roller coaster. See, my album, like a roller coaster. I take you on a ride. I take you on a ride. That's how that, and that's how I wanted to build my album. You know, like when you go on a roller coaster, you go on a ride, you go up, then you come back down real fast. Then you might turn on twists and turns. You take some twists and turns, and didn't you understand? That's how Heist of the Century is. That's why that album is so classic. Yeah, yeah. Here to speak about yeah, polluted wisdom. Like yeah. chamber to all the bulls. Polluted wisdom. Second chamber, yeah. I know this chick named Gina drove a royal blue beamer holding two chrome minas fucking daily like Adina wore cornbraids. I used to hit it back in the days. Now she a coke slave, Italian niggas getting her paid. But that's a heritage, she stayed sniffed up. No saw, clean her toast for the day, gave a fuck about tomorrow, but she balled. 50 G's flat from a shark, now they trying to make the chick history. Like Noah's Ark, she blew the cheddar. She live on a low, where's better? Cop the condo, some jewels in a 97 Jetta. Now she knows she big will, but wrong, she silly Sally thinks she handling armies Cause her body out in Cali Terribly mistaken Strong on yay In this creation Trying to slide down south With the cream From the Jamaicans It's a woman hunt Been on for about three months When they catch her Some say they pouring gas in her cunt Tortured like a blunt The sparks on a guard born day She wanted to be a queen But went about it All the wrong way She's still hanging in bars Being dying on Ross Friday and Saturday Jumping back and forth In niggas cars Now I see her with Ken At the bar Guzzling gin Thinking he the man Cause he got a 500 bin he like it raw when he touched skin. Gina just a friend, not knowing the type of lifestyle Shorty was in from Shaolin. Can you talk about Supreme's role as an executive producer? And in summary, what, what was the most instructive takeaway from that collaborative experience specifically? What was his role in the ride I you're talking about? I think it's more so that we could do it independently 
you understand, than anything. I think that's the biggest thing I got from that. Because when you come in, sometimes you think you may need this label or that label. The biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that stands out forever and is always, always make it make sense. And it's the, the pride. And that's my big bro. Because that's, that's being young, I may have thought that I wanted to go with Atlantic or I may have thought that I wanted to go with Interscope or I may have thought yada, 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 whatever, whatever. But he, one thing he showed me is that we could do this ourselves. You know what I mean? And I, and I, and I, but I understood once I, once I seen it and I was, how I said, I was already moving state to state. I was already moving. I already had the, the BMW uh, foreign, Cuban link. I had a Cuban link with diamonds in it before Raekwon album Cuban link. You understand? I had a Cuban link on when they met me. You understand? So that's where it's a little different. It's a little different. Like when I met Supreme, I had a Cuban link on with diamonds on and a foreign car when I was a teenager. You see what I'm saying? So it's like one yeah. thing I was already moving state to state. I wasn't so, but one thing that I understood is we don't the way we move and the way we move state to state, we didn't need Atlantic records. We didn't need, we could do our thing like Master P. We could do our thing like Master P and and and, and do it independently. Right. You know what I mean? So that's, I think that was the greatest take and I love it. You're 17 years old when you record the heist of the century. What's one piece of advice you would give to your younger self that you know now and you didn't back then? Hmm. One piece of advice that I would give my younger self. I don't know that thing. It's hmm. a good question, but let me see. What did I tell me? And you know why this is so crazy that I have to ponder on this so long? Because um yeah, I guess the greatest thing is uh, don't trust your accountant. That's a good one. You know what I mean? Don't trust your accountant. When, you, when you're when young and you're getting mm -hmm. in the music industry or any industry, when you becoming famous and successful and there's millions of dollars flowing, don't trust your accountant. That's, that's what I would tell my younger self. What about Wu-Tan? What was it that you learned from Wu-Tan and specifically Power, Divine and Supreme as very much fresh and innovative executives back then who were pushing the game, changing the industry? Um, what I learned really how to put albums together, like how to how to edit, how to edit albums. I learned a lot of that from being around Wu-Tang early, all you know what I'm saying? How to edit albums, how to edit verses. You know what I mean? How to edit verses, how to edit albums, how to put albums together. You know what I mean? I think I learned a lot of that just being around it. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of it was instinctively. Like I said, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to hear. But also being around it, I think it it, 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 it helped shape, you know, the type of music and the type, how I sharpened my sword, basically. My sword, my sword may have came in on a three, and by the time I finished the Wu-Tang school, it was on a 12 out of 10. You know what I mean? I learned, I learned like, you know what I'm saying? It's more musically, I think. More musically was everything, like how to edit music, 
you know what I'm saying? How to how the verses, who rap first, who rap last type shit, what song should come out first type shit. Looking back over those years, is there anything from the process of creating a heist that you still apply to your craft today? Yeah, of course. Everything. Everything is instinctively. Everything is filled. Like right now, I'm doing Heist of the Century 2. Wait till you have Heist of the Century 2. It's crazy. I went and got the same producers. I went, I went and got RZA. I went and got um, um, Mugs from Cypress Hill. I went and got um, Carlos Brody. I went and got the same producers and a little more. I went and got um, who else? Havoc, Mob Deep. I got to join Mob Deep. I went and got the same producers and I'm adding um, DJ Premier and I'm adding a couple new producers. So I, I broke down wow. the DNA. Heist of the Century 2 is amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm about, I'm about 50, 60% done. National for half a mil, it's real far crashing. All your armor chuck stuck like dust heads from our collateral. Certified criminal, gun smuggling villain who be filling clips, full of income, swelling your genitals. Specialist, cat burglar, stocking cap murderer, Uzi clip and soda. You got cheese, I heard of ya. You dirty rap, maneuver through traps and torch doors. Plastic explosive bags of C4. Flash a cannon, deliver these clowns and understanding the cash rules. Don't nothing move, care if I'm under grand in the war, son. Make it a sort, one on my way to the goal line. Fucked around the fumble. Up the wrong I cut time. the phone lines, cut the alarm, the pipe bomb. Detonates in seven minutes. The first task we in it. Lace the tear gas, put on your mask, load the bag, check the roof for the shake. I'ma climb the gate last. Speaking of heist of the century, what are your recollections of recording a title track with Power's brother Killer Sin? Was it was it Power's idea to have him feature on a track? Nah, that was me and Sin. Me and Sin was cool. Me and Sin was cool as a fan. Now nah, me and Sin, um, you know, Sin is from Killer Army, and you know, and um, RZA brother, Ninth Prince from Killer Army, and, and Sin and Power brother, they had to group Killer Army. So I always mess with Killer Army and Sons of Man. So me and Sin was tight, and, and Sin is locked up right now in Sing Sing. Matter of fact, um, my people gonna go see Sin. You know, what I mean, Sin is doing time, but um, Sin is um, me and Sin is tight. Now nah, me and Sin was just hanging out, and I was like, Yo, I'm going to the studio. You want to come? And he was like, yeah, come on. And the rest is history, nigga. <laughs> we was just hanging out. I think we was coming from um, a video. I think they were shooting a video or something. I think um, Killer Army was shooting a video. And and um, we we was just hanging out at the video shoot. And I was like, yo, I'm finna have, I got a session tonight. You want to come? He was like, yeah. And I'm, it was over after that. We, we created a masterpiece. Even RZA said, when RZA heard Heights of the Century, he said, yo, y'all niggas made a real movie, nigga. And of course, you got Mugs on the beat, crazy. Mugs on the beat, crazy. And Mugs told me I'm the fastest writer since Tupac. Mugs told me that. Mugs told me that when I did Soul Assassins. When I did Soul Assassins, you know, everybody was on Soul Assassins. Wyclef, Dr. Dre, RZA, Jizza, Mob Deep. You know, everybody was on Soul Assassins. So he told me I'm the only one that I'm the fastest he's seen since Tupac. I came in there, I picked the beat that day. I wrote my rhyme right there on the spot. I went in the booth and knocked Solus and knocked Devil in a Blue Dress. That song is amazing. I knocked that shit out right on the spot. He said he never seen nobody do that fast since Tupac. 
And remember when I was supposed to sign with Jimmy Iovine, Jimmy in a meeting with Jimmy Iovine and Jimmy Iovine lawyer, Jimmy Iovine lawyer said the same thing to me. Jimmy Iovine lawyer who signed Tupac said, I remind him of Tupac. He said, when he hear the vibration in my voice, it remind him of Tupac. Going back to Muggs, what was it that led to you collaborating for Devil in a Blue Dress for the first Soul Assassins album? Because this happens prior to Heist of the Century, doesn't it? Yeah, it happens y'all prior to Heist of the Century. We was in LA. I was in LA with Supreme Team and we was moving around and um, Muggs heard a couple of my songs like we was, we was doing things and I was up and coming and he was like, um, no, you want to come to the studio? Remember, cause he was having infamous mob, alchemists and a lot of up and comings. He was bringing them through to get on. So we was, me and Reef was real heavy. And then it, it just like, I think he liked it my style. And son, we was like, we was moving around LA at the time. And then he, I, it just a collaboration and he was real cool with Supreme too. And it just, the collaboration came about and he, you know, I think, you know what I mean? He was like, yo, you want to do a joint? You want to get on or, or some joints I'm doing or whatever? And we came to the studio because actually I ended up doing, um, I think I did Soul Assassins in New York. I did, I did, um, yeah, that's how that happened. I did Soul Assassins in New York. I was thinking I did Devil in the Blue Dress in LA for some reason. For some reason, I was no, I wasn't in LA. I was in New York. We was in New York around the Source Awards time, and Muggs was in New York. I think Muggs is originally from New York too. Yeah. I think he's originally from New York. Yeah, I think so. He's from Queens or something. He's from Cypress Queens. That's right. I think that's where they got the name from. But it, yeah, we was in New York. I, I, pardon me, because I thought I thought I did that in Cali. Matter of fact, I did that in New York. So we was hanging around New York, and he was recording in New York, and we was hanging around the Wu Tang, and you know he loved the RZA and Jizza and students of the RZA. So he brought he brought the he brought the idea up for up and coming cats, and you know what I mean. He wanted to come through and. I came through and, and, and the rest is history. Soul Assassins is one of the best joints on there. That's what the people say, not me saying that. A lot of people, you know, the fans say Devil in a Blue Dress was iconic. Me and Muggs, me and Muggs make history all the time. Word up, yeah. A lot of dark, man, you know what I'm saying? Word up. Take you on this expedition. Word up, the underworld mission. You know what I'm saying? Revolution. Yo, check it out, yo. The lies invincible. You thug cats, I'ma stab on principle. Better off dead working with a glass forehead. You got star dreams on the corner drinking gasoline. My man threw you up in the fiend. No contest done. I'm blessing you a devil in a blue dress. Speaking of collaborations, what are your memories of recording Woo Blood Kin and collaborating with Ghostface in 12 o'clock? Oh yeah, 12, God bless him. You know, 12 passed away. That's Dirty Brother, and I love Brooklyn Zoo. One of my Brooklyn Zoo originators, me, 12, Dirty. You know, we go way back. Like, me and 12 was like, we hung out every day. You know what I mean? We hung out when I was recording Heist of the Century in L.A. Um, we, 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 we hung out every day, so that's my brother. God bless him. And it's like, we had a ball. We had a, we, I mean, me and 12, they used to call us Hollywood swinging because we used to be running around Hollywood, like just having a ball. And we was from New York, being from Brooklyn and being in Hollywood and the palm trees and all that. You know what I'm saying? Um, that that night in, in the studio, I think we did that in L.A. too. We did Woo Blood Ken in L.A. Yep. And then Ghost came through. I had hollered at him, you know, told him I was doing an album and told him would he come through and knock out a joint with me. 
like everybody. I hollered at Master Killer, hollered at Ugar, like Ghost came through. Actually, that night, this is the craziest thing about that. We had a ball, but I wrote that hook for Ghost. I never told that story neither. Yo, what up? Yo, Ray, what's up, Dun Dun? Yo, ready for the barbecue? Yeah. Yeah, all right. All right, so hurry up and get, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna come through, I'm gonna meet you downstairs. All right. What's up, baby? What's up? What's this up? This is Ray. Yes, sir. I'll take care. Stay cool, stay cool. Everything. No doubt, no doubt. Let's do this then. Let's do it. Gotta go. What up? Ready? I shot Springwater in Vegas and LA. Not only in LA, we shot Springwater in Vegas. That hotel scene, when we started the hotel, we in Vegas in that scene. We in Vegas in the hotel and all that. Then we in LA in the park scene with Ghost and Daz and another person. So I shot that in two places and I wrote that treatment. I wrote that treatment. I actually co-directed that video as far as placement. Like, for instance, they was telling me I needed a trailer, right? They was like, yo, you need a trailer for Old Dirty Bastard was at that video, too. And um, um, I got to get the pictures of, of, of Dirty being at that video because we ended up not putting him in the video. He ended up not. He ended up leaving before the camera started rolling, but he was at the video. But I ended up having to organize people at that video. Like, all the girls where they placed that, I ended up placing them. Like, that was my first video, and I ended up co-directing it, like... They thought I needed trailers for people to sit in and all that. And I was like, nah, man, just pull the cameras up and shoot it. I had to move all the boys to this side. I had to move all the girls to this side. If you look at the video, the girls are all on the left and the boys are all on the right. But when it started, the boys were overtaking the girls and they was all in the way. I had to, I had to get it together. Cut, watch out. Listen, y'all get over there. And y'all get over, that was my first video ever, but I had to co-direct it. I had to put it together. That's what I'm telling you, I've been putting it together since day one. I've been putting it together since day one. And what happens and who, you know, comes, like they told me I had to get a trailer for ghosts to sit in and all that. I ain't get no trailer. I say, yo, ghost, you can sit in your car until we get ready for you. Cause it's not gonna be long. I'm, I'm not gonna have them waiting long, but what I'm saying is, and then, Ghost came outside, we was kicking it. He, we was all kicking it. Nobody wanted to be Hollywood. They was telling me I had to be Hollywood to shoot that video. And I knew I didn't. I didn't need all of that because we was kicking it. While we outside kicking it, we getting footage, we getting B-roll, then we play, you know what I mean? So I knew it was my first ever video, but I knew how to shoot it from watching the Wu-Tang videos, from watching, I was at Criminology, I was at ice cream video. I was at all of those videos. I was there before those videos was made. So I knew when it got time for me to make my video, what I wanted it to look like. What's it been like hearing this body of work remastered and re-released by Call Mine for his 25th anniversary? Have you had the chance to take a step back and realize the magnitude of what you've accomplished as one of the most successful and like you say, critically beloved Wu-Tan affiliates of all time? No, I haven't. Like I said, I don't really read a lot of articles. I don't really read my own press. I don't have a lot of time to sit back. I'll do that in in, in time. 
But right now I'm working on new projects. I'm working on new, I got I got five new songs with RZA. I got three new songs with Raekwon. I got two new songs with Method Man. I got, you know what I mean? I got new joints with Old Dirty Bastard that I ain't released yet. Like, you know what I mean? So I'm always working. Like I said, so I'm always going on. I haven't really had a time to reflect. I love it. It's a great milestone, but I haven't had a time to sit back and reflect on it. I, maybe I'll do that when I retire. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what up? To my man, Sad Demon, King Gunner, Slow Joe, what up? Man, I'm Montana, Lockdown, no? Tyreek, World Bomb, uh, yeah. Yeah. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples, are you with me where you at?